Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Our next guest going into the Oregon State Hall of Fame in a class that includes uh, Stephen Jackson, Alexis Serna, Bob DeCarolis. Uh, Mike Riley is the winningest football coach in Oregon State history, the uh, head coach of the New Jersey Generals, man of the world. He's a father. He's a husband. He's all sorts of things. He's joining us now. How are you, Coach? Thanks, John. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be on with you. Good to hear your voice, man. I I really, uh, you know, I know you and I have talked a couple times in, uh, over the last few months and stuff, but uh, just yeah. good to hear your voice. You're back in Corvallis in the off season. What's it like to be back uh, to your home base? Oh, it feels like home. It, it, it's absolutely great. You know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm really fortunate because now I've got, I've got my, my family here close. I've, I'm, uh, I'm the, uh, my big job is being a chauffeur for the grandkids. <laughs> and and, uh, and that, 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 that is, it's all really fun. I go to their games, whether it's soccer or flag football. And, and, uh, and, and you know, it's just having the kids around. I didn't grow up with, a, with my grandparents, and I'm just enjoying just, just being that guy, and it, it's, it's really fun. What's it like uh, for you to get that honor uh, induction into the Oregon State yeah. Athletics Hall of Fame? Well, you know how these things go, and as soon as you get the call about that, John, uh, you know it's it, it's it absolutely feels like a great honor. It's a humbling experience, and and you think of all the all the people that um, are really responsible. You know, this this takes a ton of teamwork. For you know, a player has those those stats that get them in the Hall of Fame, and and of course they get some help too from everybody else on the team, but. But a coach really has a team of people that all have to do their work, you know, whether it's coaches or players or equipment guys or the trainers. You know, there's so many parts of this thing, and, and it, it's just it's just really an award for everybody. And, and I'm, I'm really pleased and honored uh, for our group uh, to get recognized like this. I think I remember that when you were a kid, you you grew up like in the summer. You were painting the stadium, right? I mean, you you were kind of a, you were around it, you know. Oh, I was a gym rat. I was definitely a gym rat, John. And I yes, I remember that. And I've been reflecting on on those times too because I used to walk around Gill, and I would like study all those pictures that were on the wall. You know, the hall of the Hall of Fame was just pictures around Gill. And, and, you know, just now to, to think about that years later, and you're right, one of my summer jobs I got, I was painting the rails up in, up in Parker Stadium while they were putting in new AstroTurf one year. They were going from the, from the grass field to the new AstroTurf, and I watched them do that while I was painting the rails. And, yeah, so I've been hanging around going, going to all sorts of games as a kid. What a great town to grow up, grow up in and, and get to experience all those times. I remember sitting on the court when Kareem and then back then yeah. it was Lou Alcindor came to town and Bill Walton came to town, Pete Maravich came to town and we all sat there and, 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 uh, I get my buddies in on one ticket by throwing the ticket stub out my dad's <laughs> window. <laughs> and, 
and it was just a great, great way to grow up. I was talking to a buddy today about the great track meets back in the day when when uh, Bob Segrin was in town, and uh, USC had the had the I think they had the world record uh, 400 400 for who was probably 440 back then 440 yeah. yard relay team. And and we just saw fabulous athletes come through. It was just just a great way to grow up. Mike Riley with us, former Oregon State football coach. Uh, you know, you're you had two tenures at Oregon State. Uh, I, I love I love the trivia question that you were both uh, Dennis Erickson's predecessor and successor, and you were each other's predecessor and successor as well. But uh, you know, you you arrive there and you become head coach in '97. There hadn't been a lot of success from a bowl standpoint, and you know you get it to passable five and six, and then you leave for the NFL. Erickson comes in, you come back, and within like you're about your fourth season back in that second tenure, you win ten games at Oregon State. Did you have any? Yeah. Did you get? Were you able to reflect at any time at how how unthinkable that must have felt to to some longtime Beaver fans to see a ten win team? Yeah, it was it was it was a special time, and you know I feel, I, I you know through all this, you know Dennis and I have coached in these spring leagues together. You know we were coaching yeah. in the AAF together, and so I feel a bond with him. And and you know and I and I look back on it, and I try not to have any regrets, but it was really hard to leave. And I and I took that job with the Chargers, and then watched Oregon State succeed, and it was an amazing story. And and then to actually be able to, to come back, you know, a few years later and try to carry on what, 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 what Dennis was doing and, and then reach that point where we were, we, were, we were competitive all around in the league and we had some, you know, hard moments. We had some great moments. That's what happens over a period of time, but I, I'm so thankful for it. It was really, really, really fun. You had, I think we had talked before about going to the NFL, and Dennis says it was the worst decision he ever made to leave Oregon State for the NFL. But did <laughs> did did you? Let's talk about the two times you left Oregon State. Which which one yeah. of those do you wish you could have back? What you know, going to the Chargers or going to Nebraska? Well, you know that's that's good because you lay in bed at night sometimes when you think, boy, when I went to Nebraska, I was I I laid in bed late, wondering what in the world I had done and. You know, and I, I reflect on it, and, and I try, like I said, I try not to sit there and have regrets about anything because it would be unfair to the people that I yeah. that I got to be associated with. Like, John, think about if I hadn't gone to the Chargers, I, one of the great things in my career was being around Junior Seau. And mm-hmm. I'm so, I, I'm, I'm going to tell people tonight, I'm so thankful for him because he really, he really taught me a lot and taught me about being a pro you know he had already been to 10 straight pro bowls when i got there and his first day of practice that i witnessed it was like a rookie starting all over again with the enthusiasm of play the great leadership it was it was absolutely uh, uh, an honor uh to be with him for that period of time so i and you know and and, and jim harbaugh was our quarterback for a year and so being with jim so i I look back on those times without regret because I don't want to regret it because I'm thankful to have met and worked with those people. Same at Nebraska. I still got some players from Nebraska that are playing on my team in the hmm. in the uh, USFL, which is really special. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to do any of that 
but I'm yeah. just going to be thankful for it all and and let it ride from there. The in 2014 when you left was was there a feeling that you weren't appreciated? Was it you just had done it for a while and you wanted something new and it was a, a new challenge? Um, for people who are wondering, like, what was that trigger for you? What was it? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think you you hit probably both. I thought maybe my time was was maybe the time was right. I think that the, it it felt like that, uh, both from the inside and the outside. You know, I'm talking about the university. I thought, you know, uh, that that might be good time. And I, I wondered really about my, my future at Oregon State, what that was going to look like. And while I was wondering, because we had had a very average year, a couple yeah. in a row, actually, and I was wondering, you know, what, what that might all look like. And while I was wondering, Nebraska called me. Yeah. And so that, that triggered it. It felt like good timing. I, I felt like we had, we had done our best and done good, some good work. And... You know, I just wanted to continue coaching, and this was a good opportunity, obviously, to do that. I wouldn't have done it on the West Coast. It was something new. So I was intrigued by that, and I had, I've, I've coached all over, so it wasn't new to me. It wasn't like yeah. something that I hadn't done before, so I felt kind of comfortable doing that. And and But it was extremely hard, and it was it went so fast at that time that it was really hard initially until I got my – feet down and start to go to work yeah i'm watching the pac-12 and you know you are on my mind as well because you know you grew up yeah. with the conference it's sad to me to see what's happening to it and then i'm watching some teams go off to the big 10 and i'm going they might want to call nebraska first and and you know talk to them about what that experience is like what yeah. what do people not know about competition well, in the big 10 that's, that's great john because i've i've, re I've read what you've what you've said about it and i and i think that there's there's a lot of questions about that i think that when i got to nebraska i found out what that was really like uh in the recruiting world because you know nebraska's in one of those places where there's not you're not going to furnish your team with all in-state players even close you know there's three or four or five guys maybe in the state so you've got to have a good recruiting plan and all of a sudden you leave the conference where you've been good and where you have you know, kind of, kind of establish your recruiting grounds, and now you're in, you're now in your different deal, and the recruiting is different. The the players that might have wanted to, you know, that you could get from Texas, that you were in that league, that where they could play at home once in a while, and their their parents could follow it more easily. It wasn't quite the same anymore. So we kind of had to start a whole new idea of how how are we going to go about this? Now recruiting has changed, I think, since then, but we. We really, really studied what was the best way, because of the new situation that Nebraska was in, to establish where we were going to recruit, where we were going to get our players, and uh, how this was going to look. Uh, but there's, 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 there's a, a lot to that. And, and now you add, you know, for these teams that are going, the, 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 the travel, you know, you know, you, you would make a trip like that. We played at Penn State, and we played at LSU. We played TCU down in Dallas, and we'd make a trip like that. But our whole world wasn't like that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a ton to it that they're going to learn about as they go, and it won't all be fun. 
Mike Riley with us. The um, uh, One of the big stories in football involves sign stealing and videotaping signs. And you've been around football long enough to know that, you know, people have tried to steal signs for as old as football has been played, probably. But, yeah. um, how, you know, what do you make of that whole story? And, you know, I, I don't need you to talk about Jim Harbaugh or Michigan in particular, but just what do you make yeah. of the the process of trying to steal signs? Where does it cross the line in your mind? Well, you know, you're right. It's been going on forever. I can remember being at Linfield and we're trying to get the signs from the other team. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's a... It's it's a it's a real deal, and I never thought of it as any any part of it breaking the rules. Now, from what I've heard about this, if indeed you know we've known for years in college football that you don't attend, it it stopped years ago where you actually went and scouted uh, because you have such good video coming to you these days. You don't need to have the expense of sending a coach just to scout a game anymore. And so it became a rule that you, you couldn't go to another team's stadium. So if indeed that is happening, that adds a different layer to it. But as far as, you know, when I first saw the story about stealing signs, I was saying, why is this such a big deal? It seemed to me initially like a misdemeanor. Yeah. Now if you add that other layer to it, then then that that might that might change how, how people perceive it. And I think that that's where the yeah. crux of the problem is. If I, if I could get the other team's signs what is what is that worth you know in a game to in your opinion well you know i i think there are some sometimes it's, it's a hindrance spending time i've heard stories of people spending trying time trying to get the signal and then calling a play off of it and then running out of the out of the the play clock you know i mean there can be some issues that cause more problems than there are helpful. Now, now if you can get a couple of things that are relatively simple, for instance, if you can quickly get run or pass, that's helpful. You know, and if you can get the defensive coordinator, if you could get whether or not he's blitzing, that's helpful. You know, but whether or not you can get that and then get that information to the players or make the appropriate call in time, that's another issue. So, I frankly think some of it's overrated because it's really not that easy to do and then to use it. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think too if yeah, there might there might just be some bad feelings about Michigan in general that are coming out in a variety of ways. <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike Riley with us. Um, all right, just uh, you know your thoughts now. USFL, are you having fun? You know, it's neat to you know. I I, I watched a USFL game just because you were coaching in it. You know, I was flipping yeah. by and went, "All right, I'm going to watch this." <laughs> I appreciate that. It is fun, and you know, for me, it's it's like perfect at my, at my age and where I am in my career. It's it's you get you get your kind of your football fix, and it's it's still really really the most important part of it is really having a team and working with players, and they're all after something. They they're they're just like players right now in college that are working for that future opportunity and seeing what they can do. And so I find I find the players to be really hungry for football and love football. You know, these guys aren't making a lot of money, so they got to be in it. They got to love it. They love being on a team. And, and uh, it's really – I've really enjoyed the players a lot. And I think I've also – taking a little bit more time as I've gotten older here in this deal to kind of stop and 
smell the roses, John. I go, yeah. I spend a little more time in the locker room talking to guys and, yeah. you know, learn more about them. And it, it, it has, it, for right now in my life, you know, it's about, I, I work at it every day. We do personnel stuff, but, but I get to be here in Corvallis during that time. And then I go do that thing for about four months and it's really fun. And I got, I got to bring Eli, my grandson for training camp and he hung around. I had him for seven weeks. We were roommates. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> it was, John, it was the time of my life. I, 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 I had so much fun with him and I put him to work every day at practice and, then I'd throw some balls to him after practice every day. It was I get to do stuff like that and stay involved with the team that it it really really is special. I remember when he was born, and I can't believe he's out catching passes now. That's amazing. <laughs> That's remarkable. Um, I you know, know it is remarkable. Before yeah. I let you go, Bob DeCarolis also going into the Oregon uh, State Athletics Hall of Fame. That's your AD who was there for the bulk of your tenure. Um, what mm-hmm. did Bob? What did Bob do? What did he mean to Oregon State at that time? Oh, Bob! Bob and I were very close, and and uh, you know he's the guy that made the hire uh, when I came back. You know after Dennis left, and and uh, so I'm always just for that simple reason, you know, very thankful for him to give me that opportunity again. And and then I think that we just had a good open relationship we talked about a lot all the time and and he was really supportive and he had a he had a great vision i mean and and you know the the remarkable thing uh you know what they've done recently with scott and then what bob got started was you know from 97 when i first came john to today every inch of that area has been renovated into something that Back then, in 97, nobody could imagine. I mean, we had the old AstroTurf, you know, that was still there probably from when I was painting the rails. And, and uh, you know, it's just been a remarkable change. And I think Bob instigated a lot of that and was responsible for getting it going and uh, and just did a great job for Oregon State. Well, Coach, I love having you on. I will definitely catch up with you when I'm in Corvallis. But congratulations on going into the Hall of Fame, getting your your picture on that wall, and some kid someday is going to walk by and look up at Mike Riley on the wall. Oh, that's 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 what's kind of surreal about this, because I, I, you know, you you think of yourself growing up in this town as just that kid, you know, and and. Yeah. Uh, Get to see all these great players, so I'm really, really, it's, it's, it's really an amazing, amazing journey, and I'm very thankful for it. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate you be, it. You bet. All right, Mike Riley, there he goes. Oregon State, uh, long time winningest coach in Oregon State history in football, and going into the Oregon State Athletics Hall of Fame along with Bob DeCarolis, Stephen Jackson, Mike Hass. Um, you know, you got a great class, Alexis Serna in that class, and. Uh, just a terrific honor for for Mike Riley, the longtime Oregon State football coach. Loved his comments on the transition to the Big Ten, on, sty- on sign stealing. You see, catch the laugh in there, Stephen. You know, is this about Michigan and people not liking Michigan? You know, and I, I, like, he kind of they kind of insinuated that it's a lot yeah. about uh, Harbaugh. Yeah, laughed about it, and uh, stay tuned on that front. Uh, you got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. I've been thinking a lot this week about what the University of Oregon's football game 
against USC is really about? Or what one thing am I looking at when it as it pertains to Oregon's football game against USC at Autzen Stadium? Huge game, big implications, a lot of focus on Oregon because Oregon is the sixth-ranked team in the college football playoff, and justifiably so, but... What am I really thinking about? What am I really looking at when I when I come to that game? Or what one factor am I interested in seeing play out? And it's really simple for me on the Oregon side. And, and some games are not this simple. But as it pertains to Oregon and USC, I have no concerns about Bo Nix, the Oregon offense, the Ducks' ability to move the ball, to score on USC, Everybody's focused on this defensive coordinator switch, which I don't think is going to be that big of an impact in the game. You're still dealing with the same players. You're dealing with essentially the same scheme at, at USC. You can't really control that if you're Oregon. If USC decides to scrap the entire you know, defensive um, philosophy and try something new with really just two full practice days and a walkthrough day, I, I think everybody's focused on the wrong thing. They've got their eye off the ball. I think the biggest factor is on the other side, and it has been all season. What were we talking about all off season with Oregon football? We weren't talking about Bo Nix. We weren't talking about how defenses would react to Oregon or what the defensive play calling might be. We weren't talking about any of that. We were talking about the defensive identity at Oregon. We talked about it all spring, all summer, all fall camp, and... You know, as much as you can point to the test that Oregon has had this season at Washington against Michael Penix Jr., certainly a test. On the road with Texas Tech, certainly a test. Shador Sanders in Colorado coming to Autzen Stadium, certainly a test. As much as you can point to those games or the Utah game on the road, um, this USC offense with Caleb Williams at quarterback, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, is one of the best offenses in the country and is built to exploit defenses. So this is the game, right? As much as you can talk about, hey, what is USC going to look like on defense, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what is Oregon's identity going to be in this game on the defensive side of the ball? And can the Ducks, who have made incredible strides in finding balance on the defensive side of the ball and finding some identity on the defensive side of the ball, can they put it to work in this game? against USC, with the country watching, with the Pac-12 after dark spotlight on them, this is the game. This is the moment that we have been talking about. We talked about all spring, all summer, whatnot. And, you know, I know I was there at Husky Stadium to see what Michael Penix Jr. did to Oregon's defense late in that game, and it's why Oregon has got one blemish on its record. So, to me, all this talk all week long about what's USC going to do How are they going to line up? How will the firing of Alex Grinch impact the game plan that USC puts together against Oregon? I think we're asking the wrong question. The question is, what's Oregon's defensive identity going to be? How will Tosh Lapoy's defense scheme and play against Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and that USC offensive attack? Because if Oregon can do that right and be better on defense than they were last season, certainly, and at different points earlier this season, Oregon's going to win this game, and it's going to win it going away. Because Oregon's offense with Bo Nix, they're not going to struggle. I don't care if you put um, you know, the Vince Lombardi coaching the USC defense on Saturday. It's that, that's not the question. 
The question is, how will Oregon's defense react to Caleb Williams and the pressure that USC will put on it? So I am very curious to see how that plays out. So, you know, take your focus off USC's defense. The focus needs to be on Oregon's defense right now. It is the biggest factor in this game. Simultaneously, I look over at Oregon State. A very different question for Oregon State. And I hate to make Oregon State's season sound like it's more about, uh, you know, a, a sociological experiment. But at different points this year, I've just felt like Oregon State didn't come to play in a couple games or in a couple quarters or a couple of key moments. You know, look at the game, the first half or the first three quarters against Washington State. There were moments in the Arizona loss where they just lost focus. I saw it again in Boulder. I was there in person. I saw Oregon State lose focus in the fourth quarter. Like as much as Shador Sanders in Colorado want to say, hey, we found something, I think the, the 14 points that Colorado scored in the fourth quarter and all the yards that they piled up and all the pressure that they put on Oregon State, I think all of that had to do more with Oregon State losing focus, the attention deficit, I don't know what it is. And here comes Stanford, people calling it a trap game. Why? Because Washington is in a week, Oregon's in two weeks. There's a lot hanging in the balance in those two games, but you can't get there if you're Oregon State if you don't play well against Troy Taylor and Stanford. So yes, this is about psychology. It is a little sociology. Oregon State, you have to come to play. You need to play four great quarters in your home stadium where you are lethal against a Stanford team that has been much better this season, much better than advertised. So that's what it's about for Oregon State. I want to see them show up to play, and I want to see them play four complete quarters. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.